0: You're listening to the Rick Soto podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. So, just a quick story. We were from Orange County, a little Calvary chapel. We picked up um, two babies, a two year old and a two week old, and moved everything to Mexico at the start of 2002. I don't recommend doing it that way, by the way. And um, we started a little bilingual church. I only knew three words of Spanish when I moved to Mexico. Burrito, baño, and taco. So it was a long, slow road, but God has been so good to us. We've been able to see a, a healthy local church started that's bilingual. Some of you have visited our church. And then we're really involved in church planning as well. We have a church planning school where we train up Anyone who comes, mainly the locals, of course, and we get to send them out to church plant throughout Mexico, um, some in the United States. Uh, We just planted our first one in Guatemala this past year because we really want to... Yeah, thank you, Lord. You know, that Acts 1-8 model is actually an outward arc of missions. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so Guatemala is Central America. We have a single guy coming in to Peru Uh, next year to join our program to be sent out to South America, Peru. So we're really excited to continue to see what God wants to do through church planning. You guys are a very generous partner with that. So just by being a part of the Ranch Church, you're involved in church planning. We get to see Phil and Cindy all the time down there and Pastor Jeff and some of you others come down. And so thank you for church planning, but we are gonna be more involved in church planning. That's one of the reasons Pastor Rick invited me up. You know, we're talking about some new partnership opportunities and Tijuana's nice to visit but there's actually some nicer places in Mexico to visit. So be, stay tuned for some future church planning trips, some missions trips for you guys, because you're all going to be invited, and it would be so much fun to see you down there and do some missions work together. And yes, pray on the beach as well. That's part of missions. Amen? Amen. Well, we are going to get into the Word today, and um, we're going to see Jesus... Face the biggest trial and tribulation of his life. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have faced at least one trial or tribulation in the last 90 years? Raise up your hands. Okay, good. This story is for you because we're going to look at how Jesus faces the trials and tribulations of life. We're going to actually see Jesus get arrested in John 18. We'll turn there in a minute. But, you know, being arrested reminds, you know, when we talk about trials and tribulations, it reminds me of the story of this pastor named Rick. Not one that you would know. A pastor named Rick, he, he went to the doctor, he wasn't feeling well. The next day, the pastor calls Rick into his office, and he says, Rick, all the tests are done. I've got bad news and very bad news to share with you. Which one do you want to hear first? Rick said, well, just give me the bad news first. The doc says, okay, you've got a terminal disease. You only have 24 hours to live. Rick said, that's ridiculous, doctor. What could be worse than that? Tell me the very bad news. Well, I was supposed to tell you this yesterday. Okay, sorry. No, no, well, maybe we'll have one more. Hey, if you got a Bible, you can open it up. John chapter 18. That's going to be our text today, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. If you happen to be taking notes, here's the title of your notes today. The Arrest of Jesus. The Arrest of Jesus. The Arrest of Jesus was the beginning of that final greatest trial that he would face in his entire life. Of course, we know, speaking of the cross. And we're not going to look at the cross today, but we're going to look at how Jesus prepared for this trial. And then we're going to look at how Jesus responded when the trial came crashing in. This story is packed full of lessons and principles for your life because I know each one of you have a difficult life. I know each one of you have trials and tribulations that come crashing in. Whether we're ready or not, whether we want them or not, they come because we live in a fallen world. And so we're going to look at how Jesus responds to the trials and tribulations of life. And as we study this text together we're going to come across five lessons from Jesus about trials. And I'll be repeating these if you want to write them down. Five lessons from Jesus about trials. So if you got your Bible, your phone, John chapter 18. Thank you, Phil, for letting me borrow the biggest Bible in the valley. I get to, uh, yes, are you saying the pastor forgot his Bible? Yes, I did forget my Bible. John chapter 18, we'll begin by reading verses 1 through 3. John 18:1 through3. When Jesus had spoken these words, verse one, he went out with his disciples across a brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, verse three, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, he went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So a little background here, we're looking at the events of the final night of Jesus's life. I know you guys know he spent the final night alive in Jerusalem, that upper room with the disciples, did all those great things. He he gave the upper room discourse, that great teaching. He washed the disciples' feet. He gave them communion for the first time. And then Judas Iscariot leaves, remember, to betray him. And so it's probably after midnight on Thursday night when Jesus leaves the upper room in Jerusalem, crosses that Kidron Valley. If you've been to Israel, you know where that is. And then he goes up to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was a a mountain covered with olive groves, and there were little private gardens there. And Jesus went into this garden. He must have had permission or known the owner of this garden, and he went in there to pray. And so Jesus asked his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, to pray with him. You remember the story? So Jesus is praying, pouring his heart out to the Father, uh, sweating drops of blood, the Bible says. And and how did Peter, James, and John do when he asked them to pray? Do you guys remember? Yeah, snoring, right? They were sleeping away. Three different times he goes and asks them to pray. And they they were just so tired it was late. They didn't know what was coming up. But Jesus was preparing spiritually for the trial that was about to come crashing in. Do you know that if the trial comes crashing in and you're not prepared spiritually, you're going to come in for a big spiritual fall? It's too late to prepare if you haven't done it ahead of time. The disciples show us that. Peter, James, and John, especially Peter, did not handle this situation very well. But Jesus shows us the importance of preparing spiritually ahead of time so when the trials come crashing in, we're ready spiritually, okay, If you're taking notes, this brings up our first lesson from Jesus about trials. I'm going to read it twice. Number one, it's important to be prepared spiritually for the trials that will come crashing in. Number one, it's important to be prepared spiritually for the trials that will come crashing in. One more time. It's important to be prepared spiritually for the trials that will come crashing in. And again, spiritual preparation comes before the trial. How do we prepare spiritually? Well, you're doing it right now. By being a faithful member of a local Bible teaching church, you're preparing your heart spiritually. You're learning spiritual truths. The basics of the Christian faith, reading the Bible daily, we call that daily devotions, praying, those things prepare you spiritually. Believing in the truths of the Scriptures, believing that trials are part of this life, filling the Spirit, crucifying the flesh. When you're doing those things, does it mean that you're going to enjoy the trials when they come crashing in? Yes or no? No. No, it doesn't mean you'll enjoy them. But what it means is you'll be spiritually prepared. Jesus was spiritually prepared when this trial came crashing in, and he handles it perfectly as our example. So Jesus is praying, the disciples are sleeping, and they hear a rustling in the leaves and a crowd arrives. Check out who came in verse 3. Would you read that one more time please, verse 3? Then Judas having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. This this mob that Judas Iscariot brought had two different groups of people by the way. Number 1, it had the legal rulers of the day, which were the Roman soldiers. That's what the detachment of troops is speaking about. But then secondly, he also brought him the religious people of the day, which were the, the, the Jewish chief priests and Pharisees, their servants, which were really guards and thugs. They were the main guys that beat up Jesus before he goes to the cross. So we have the, uh, some Romans with Jesus. We have some Jewish guys, and they've all come with Judas Iscariot. And how does Judas betray Jesus? Do you remember? What did he do? Betrays him with a kiss. And I can't believe what Jesus called Judas. Do you remember? He said, friend. Can you imagine that? Knowing a guy is going to betray you and Jesus says, friend, come do what you've come with. So the troops come. Check out how Jesus responds. Let's continue on verse by verse and read verse four. Verse four. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, Came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? So again, we're looking at the response of Jesus as he responds to this arrest. Jesus was not shocked or surprised. It's not good to be shocked and surprised when trials come crashing in, okay? It's not helpful. Jesus is not freaking out when the trial comes in, when this arrest comes in. What we see is Jesus under control and in the Spirit. That's victory. That's spiritual victory. Not avoiding the trials. We don't get to do that. But being under control and in the Spirit, friends, that is spiritual victory. That's the goal for us. That's what Jesus does here. Trials and tribulations are always painful. They were painful for Jesus. You guys understand what I'm talking about. But we want to respond under control and in the Spirit. And again, that's going to come as you are spiritually prepared And what I love to see is to see a group of people Bibles open, taking notes, paying attention and people it's a group it's a church full of people that are spiritually prepared. Congratulations pastor. you guys have an amazing church. such an honor and a privilege to be here. Now doesn't mean Jesus wanted to face this trial? Do you remember the prayer that Jesus made in the garden? Three different times he said, Father, if possible, what? take this cup from me the cup is the cup of suffering that Jesus was about to pray to go to on the cross so it's biblical as a trial is approaching to ask god to take it away amen you guys believe in that right oh lord is it possible take this cup away that's an absolute biblical thing to do to be praying but if you're if that trial keeps coming forward towards you There's actually sometimes a time when you, this is so hard, when you have to stop praying and start moving forward. That's one of the lessons. It's not one of our points, but it's a lesson in the story. There's a time when you have to stop saying, God, take it away, because it's right here, Lord. You could have done it. You didn't do it. So now strengthen me as I walk through this. You see, after the Father answered Jesus three times, Jesus realized what? that the trial, the cup, the cross, was the Father's will. That's one of the hardest lessons for a Christian to understand. Because if I was God, my will for you guys would be you, face, you don't face any trials because I like you guys. But that's not the Father's heart. The Father's heart is that sometimes trials and tribulations are part of good, God's, good, God's plan for your life. Trials and tribulations are part of God's good and perfect will for your life. You know why? You grow in your trials. Write that down, note takers. I grow more in my trials than on vacation in Cancun. Write that down. I grow more in my trials than on vacation in Cancun. It's true. We grow spiritually through the trials. And God does so many good things through our trials. We'll talk to that about that in a minute. So because Jesus was submitted to the Father's will, because Jesus knew the Father loved him, because Jesus knew the Father was in control and had a good plan for his life, after three prayers, and it's, the answer was no, right? He didn't really get an answer because that was the Father's will. Jesus begins moving forward. And I love what Jesus, how Jesus thinks about this trial. Check it out, verse four. Would you read the middle of verse four? Jesus, therefore, I have a different version here. I apologize. I'm trying to read this version. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. None of these events took Jesus by surprise. Because he had prayed and prepared when the hour of trial came, Jesus was ready. This brings up a second lesson from Jesus about trials. Here it is, number two. Jesus understood that trials are part of life. Jesus understood that trials are part of life. One more time. Jesus understood that trials are part of life. Let me give you some really good news. There's no trials when you go home to heaven. If that's good news for you, tell me amen. Okay, now let me give you some bad news. This isn't heaven. Now this is as close as I've been to heaven. It is beautiful here. I love it. I'm thinking about moving right now, but... This isn't heaven. (laughs) We live in a fallen world under the control of the evil one. That's what the Bible says. And so, from time, and yes, God can protect us, and sometimes He does, and we always want that, but trials are a part of life. And I know you guys understand that because you've lived it. You've lived it. We all have. And sometimes trials are part of God's good and perfect will. God, in His divine understanding and His all in his all-knowingness and understanding who you are and his plan for you, he allows trials to come crashing in. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about trials and tribulations. I'm going to read a cross-reference, John 16, 33. In this world, you might have tribulation. Do you remember that verse? Good, because it's not in your Bible. John 16, 33. here it is. In this world, you will have tribulation... But don't forget what he adds next, but be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. <clears throat> what does that teach us? What does that teach us about trials and tribulations? That they're not the end. That they're not the end. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's victory on the other side. There's spiritual growth on the other side. God is promising, I will get you through it either here, usually, or sometimes he gets us through it and takes us home altogether. So, don't be freaking out and losing your faith when a trial comes. We want to look at it as an opportunity to grow in our faith and to grow spiritually. Check out what happens next. Let's get back to the Bible, verses 5 and 6. So, Jesus asked, Who are they seeking? Now, let's see how Jesus answers, verses 5 and 6. Oh, they answered him, We're seeking, here it is, <clears throat> Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back, and they all fell to the ground. So the large crowd asks, tells Jesus, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Did you know that they didn't know who Jesus was? It might shock a few of you, but Jesus never lived in Jerusalem. He lived in where? The north of Israel, around that Sea of Galilee. Once or twice a year, he'd come down with the disciples for you know, a big feast or a festival or the Passover or something else. And he'd stay with his friends, uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus and stuff, because he didn't have a house there. He wasn't from there. The family home was in the north. It was actually a three-day walk. So these, you know, he wasn't super famous in Jerusalem. Now he'd spend his final week there. We know that. We know he did the triumphal entry to begin his final week. But Jesus wasn't this, this really known figure in Jerusalem at that time. So the Roman soldiers, and, and that's why Judas gives them the sign. Hey guys, it's gonna be the one I kiss. And, and then they knew it was Jesus of Nazareth again in the north. And so this crowd tells Jesus, they're looking for him, and Jesus answers, very important phrase, verse five. Jesus answers by saying, I am he. Now this is a really, really cool theological thing. Um, the Greek word, Jesus speaking in Greek, New Testament in Greek, is ego emi. It's a very important phrase, this I am he in your Bible. If you underline in your Bible, underline that phrase, I am he, because it's super important. And then if you write in the margins of your Bible, write this, Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14. See, this phrase Jesus uses, I am he, is the same phrase the Father used to describe himself in Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14, Moses talking with God, Moses doubting himself, oh my God, they won't listen to me, blah, 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 all of these excuses. Finally, Moses says, who do I tell him sent me? Moses is basically saying, God, what's your name? And God uses this same phrase. Now, it's Hebrew. Old Testament Hebrew. In Exodus 3.14, let me uh, read to you how God the Father responds to Moses. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent to you. Same phrase. The phrase Jesus uses in Greek, uh, John 18, is the same phrase the Father uses in Exodus 3.14. And remember, the father didn't tell people his name all the time. This was a very, very unique and special thing. You know, that's why the the Jews wouldn't even say God's name, because they were so tripped out about it. But God gives the name in Hebrew, the same name Jesus. So what was Jesus saying here? I am what? God in the flesh. I don't think your Jehovah's Witness friends really like this verse very much. But don't bring it up. They'll have some lame excuse. I've gone around and around with those guys. So again, we, we recognize how Jesus responded to trials and tribulations here. He didn't start doubting God. He didn't start doubting God's love. He didn't try and figure out his own way to get out of this trial. He didn't make a face, Facebook or Instagram post trying to get pity likes or pity hearts telling everyone how hard their life is. Jesus leaned on the truth of the Scriptures as He walks into this trial. This is so important. As tribulation swirled around Him, Jesus believed in the truth of who He was and the truth of who God is and the truth of the Word. so important for us to do. Friends, this brings up a third lesson from Jesus about trials. Number three. In His trial... Jesus focused on the truth. So important to do. One more time. In his trial, Jesus focused on the truth. In his trial, Jesus focused on the truth. If you're taking notes, write the, add this in parentheses. Not on his emotions or circumstances. Add that in. Not on his emotions or circumstances. This is so important, guys. Do you know that your emotions can lie to you? Do you know that? You know, sometimes I talk to people in our church, usually young ladies, no offense to you ladies here, and they like to tell me, I just follow my heart. You know, that's not really a good thing all the time. The Bible does say your heart is deceitfully wicked. You know, Um, your emotions will lie to you, especially when you're in a trial. Circumstances will lie to you in a trial. There's no way out. There's no hope. I'll never get through this. This one's going to kill me. Your circumstances, looking at them through human fleshly eyes, they will lie to you. Now, it's normal. It's normal to want to believe our emotions and circumstances. And emotions and circumstances aren't bad normally. But in a trial especially, they will lie to you. That's why it's very important because I know a lot of you are in the middle of a big trial right now. I know that. It's very, very important that you not believe in all of the emotions. You not trust what you see, the circumstances, but you decide to say, Jesus, I will trust in the truth. The truth about what? The truth about God. Truth about his kingdom. The truth of his word. And here's the really most important thing, I think. The truth of who Jesus says you are as a Christian. That is so important. In the middle of a trial, it is so tempting to think, God doesn't love me. Nobody loves me. Pastor Rick doesn't even call me. It's so easy to get lied to by an emotion. And that is so important why you say, hold on, hold on. I'm a child of God. I am loved by God. I am the friend of Jesus. I believe in his promise that I am not alone because he has promised I will never leave you or forsake you. Listen to how the Bible describes you as a Christian. 1 Peter two 9. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are part of a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. You know, many of the... <clears throat> Parables of Jesus describe you as a Christian as the greatest, greatest treasure. The greatest treasure of all is you as his child, a Christian. Remember that. Remember that when you're in the middle of a trial. Remember the truth of who you are in Christ. It's one of my favorite phrases uh, for me as a Christian. I'm in Christ. The Father sees me righteous and holy and perfect. I'm struggling, I'm doubting, but I'm in Christ. And I'm gonna believe that and believe that God's gonna get me through this trial. You are loved by the all-powerful and all-loving creator of the universe. Do you believe that? If you believe that, tell me amen loud. There we go, good. So getting back to our Bible text, Jesus says, I am he. He makes that powerful phrase describing himself as God in the flesh. And did you notice how the crowd responded, verse 6? This is so cool. This is so cool. Verse 6, let's read it again. When he said to them, I am he, how did they respond? They drew back and all fell to the ground. For you moms of toddlers, this is where we get the story of Humpty Dumpty from. Don't believe that. I just made it up. It's not true. But here's here's what you need to know. Write this down, note takers. There is power in the name of Jesus. Write this down. We know it's a great song, but more importantly than a great song, it's a theological truth that's demonstrated in this story in the Garden of Gethsemane right here. There is power in the name of Jesus. When you need help, I want to encourage you cry out to Jesus. Say the name, say it out loud. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe there's power in your name. Help me now. That's a prayer he's going to answer every time. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just cried out in the name of Jesus out loud? There's power in the name of Jesus. The demons tremble. The gates of hell fall. Not based on your power, but based on his. If you're going through a trial and you need help, the first one we want to go to is Jesus and cry out and say his name. There's power in the name of Jesus. So how would the crowd respond? What would they do to him? Well, let's continue on. We're going to study verse by verse. We're almost done, by the way. Let's continue on and read verses seven to nine. Would you read those verses with me, please? Verse seven. Verse seven. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. So here we see Jesus to get, prepare to get arrested by this bitter mob. Speaking of being arrested, I don't want to scare any of you because you look like a really holy bunch. But I relate to this story really well because I've been arrested twice. Besides me and Pastor Rick, have any of you been arrested in here? Don't raise your hands. You're scaring the people around you, Phil. Well, that does remind me of the sad story of the old jailbird named Phil. Phil, you, you might have heard this story. Phil was sitting on death row in the jail in Solvang and of course condemned to die for for stealing grapes out of a church vineyard. And the warden came in and said, Phil, tomorrow's your big death day, congratulations. But we like to bless our prisoners before we send them home. So you get any dish you want for your final meal tonight before we kill you tomorrow. And Phil said, thank you so much. For my final meal, I want a large platter of strawberries. The warden said, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest final meal we've ever had. You could have lobster. You could have, you could have Italian food from the greatest restaurant in the world. Why do you want a large plate of strawberries? In fact, we don't have strawberries. They're out of season. We're not getting any strawberries for at least six months. Phil says, well, I can wait. <laughs> may or may not be a true story. I don't know. Getting back to our text. So I love what Jesus says to the crowd. Would you read verse 8 one more time? It's so important what Jesus does here. We're going to talk about it, but I want to read verse 8 again. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. Here it is. If you seek me, let these men go. Pointing to the 11 disciples that are with him. Jesus made these statements to ensure that the disciples would be protected and safe. In the middle of his own personal deepest and darkest trial, Jesus protects the disciples. Do you know why? The trial, This trial wasn't theirs. It was his. This brings up our fourth lesson from Jesus about trials. Number four, in his trial, Jesus did his best to protect his own. One more time, number four, in his trial, Jesus did his best to protect his own. One more time. Number four, Jesus did his best to protect his own. Parentheses, for you guys that like to write a lot, because this was Jesus' own trial. Because this was Jesus' own trial. It's important that you know there's two kinds of trials you're going to face. Many trials are to be shared. You go through them as a family, you go through them as a business, you go through them as a married couple. There's a lot of trials like that, but all of the trials are not like that. Do you know that there's certain trials that God has given you and you alone? I know know Pastor Rick's faced that because I face them all the time. And, and, And I believe some of you do too. There are certain trials that Jesus gives only to you. Only to you. This trial was only for Jesus. When Peter tries to fix it, what does Jesus say? Don't you know that I must drink this cup the Father has given, not us, me. Peter, go, be free. This trial, Jesus, God has given me. There are certain trials, my friends, that God has given only you. And you don't always, this is, this is gonna sound weird, but it's true. You don't always have to drag everybody else into the misery. Sometimes, 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 you need to say, hey, you guys, go, go. This isn't for you. And I'm going to walk with my father through this trial that he's given me. Super, super important, guys. Jesus went through this trial alone, and he knew it. And that's why he says, you guys go. Now, Peter doesn't go. We're going to read that in a minute. But there are certain trials that God has given you and you alone. Now, when I say you and you alone, you're really not alone, right? Because who, who are those those trials he gives for you are designed to be walked through with you and who else? Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Father help me. Father strengthen me. I'm walking forward. You know one of the greatest verses is that is that prophecy where Jesus set his face like flint to go to the cross. Do you know what that means? What it means is when Jesus received the no answer, please let me this cup pass from me. Three no's, three silences from heaven. He said, okay, I received this answer and I'm walking forward. I am walking forward alone with the strength of my father. And guys, some trials, some trials are for you and you alone. Maybe you're a dad and you're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna protect my kids from this trial. I'm not gonna be a grump around the house. I'm not going to be whining all the time. I'm going to trust my God and in the power of the Spirit, I'm going to walk through this trial, but I'm going to try and protect them. Maybe you moms. Maybe God's given you a a trial in your life as a mom and and instead of dragging your kids down with with your sorrow and your pain and a sour attitude, you say, I'm going to protect my kids from this because this one's for me. And I'm going to walk through in the the power of the Lord Jesus. This trial was for, God, for Jesus and Jesus alone. Not saying all trials are like this. Actually, not even most. I think most of them, we need to go in and get prayer and get support and get counsel. But ultimately, sometimes the trial itself is for you to trust the Lord and to grow. This trial was a trial for Jesus alone. That's why he says, Peter, should I not drink the cup my father has given to, not us, to me, to me. I've faced many trials where I've had to walk alone. And yeah, I'm a senior pastor of a church, but I've also seen some trials in the trials of my friends, people in our church. And some of them are group trials. Some of them we get to walk together as a family or whatever. But some, some, he's called you to walk alone because he wants you to grow. He wants you to lean on him. He wants you to be filled with the spirit. He wants you to see God give you the victory. He wants to strengthen you in that storm of life. And that's why Jesus calls this trial, my cup. Not our cup, my cup. Again and again, he does it throughout the letter, throughout this story, my cup. And he protected the disciples. So he points to the disciples, you guys get out of here. This one's for me. And you know, most of them started running, but then Peter got a brilliant idea. I'm gonna help Jesus. By the way, it's not usually a good sign when you say that. (laughs) We'll see that as we finish up. Would you read the end of this little story with me, please? Verses 10 and 11. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's servant's ear and cut off his right ear. Servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not, here it is, drink the cup that the Father has given me. So Peter gets a brilliant idea to help Jesus. And he starts swinging his sword around. And one of the weirdest things is, why did he cut off a guy's ear? Well, let me answer that question. He wasn't aiming for the guy's ear. He was aiming for the guy's neck. But you know, he'd probably never used a sword before. And he chops off the ear. And then you know he's covering his mouth. And what does Jesus do? We don't know in this gospel. The other gospel, Luke tells us, he picks up the ear, puts it back back on not so much doing it for this pagan guy. He's doing it for Peter. Because if he wouldn't have done that, there would have probably been four crosses on Calvary, not just three. So he puts it on, and then Peter runs for it, right? And stays, stays a ways away. We don't need to help out Jesus. That's the last lesson here. So Peter tries to help out Jesus, but, and I love what Jesus told Peter. Would you read verse 11 one more time as we finish up? Verse 11 Jesus said, put your sword into this sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Cup of suffering. The cup for Jesus represents the trial and tribulations that you face in your life as a Christian today. Now, let me tell you something that kept Jesus going through this trial. The belief that God is able to bring good out of all things. Do you believe that God could bring good out of all things in your life as a Christian? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Are all things good? No, they're not. Romans 8.28, one of the greatest promises in the Bible, never says all things are good because a lot of stuff isn't good. A lot of the stuff that comes crashing in through trials and tribulations, it's not good. It's wicked, it's horrible, it's painful, it's not good. But the promise is what? That God is able to bring good out of everything, including the trials and tribulations of life. Did God bring any good out of this trial of Jesus going to the cross? Yes or no? Yeah. What what good did, did the Father bring out of this? Can you think of some of the things? How about resurrection life? Because Jesus resurrected, you will too. How about heaven? Because Jesus ascended into heaven, you will too. How about this? Through the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus defeated the power of Satan, sin, and death. Is that good news? Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he made forgiveness and salvation available freely to all people. The lesson here is God brings good out of our trials and tribulations. But what if Jesus would have run away from the cross? This is too painful. I don't want to do it. I'm running away with the disciples. I'm calling a legion of angels. This isn't what I signed up for. I'm I'm ascending back to heaven. None of these good things would have happened if he would have avoided the trial and tribulation. The good many times comes after we walk through the trial and tribulation. That's what Jesus did. He walked through it, and the Father bought good out of it. Cups of suffering. This life is not easy. God's never promised us that it's easy. He does love us. But I know so many of you are facing difficult cups of suffering in your life today. Maybe it's a, a cup of, of illness, of suffering. We know in the crazy times we live, we've all faced people and, and had people pass away and, and things like that with this crazy corona thing we're dealing with. Maybe you're facing a cup of a ruined marriage or a ruined family or, or children that have let you down and not followed the ways of the Lord. Maybe you're facing a cup of financial difficulties. Maybe you're just facing a cup of disappointment. My life's not turning out the way I thought it would or the way I wished it would. You need to believe that God has allowed those trials and tribulations into your life. Not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you and he wants you to grow. And so it's good to do what Jesus did before the garden, which we didn't read today. Pray and ask the Lord to take it away. But if the answer is no, or if heaven's silent, like heaven was silent when Jesus asked the Father to to take the cup away, that's an answer. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Well, guess what? The cross came, and then there was a time when Jesus stopped praying and started moving forward. And he actually embraced the cup of suffering that God had for him, which which, you know, that's where he set his face like flint. You also need to believe that God's able to bring good out of your trials and tribulations. You need to believe that God will walk with you through those. You need to believe that God will strengthen you in them. Many times we look at the trial of the cup waiting for us. I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. And you know what? You're right. You're not strong enough. God doesn't give us the strength and the faith ahead of time. As we move forward, He provides the strength and the faith. As we move forward, we have to trust Him. Springs up our fifth and final lesson from Jesus about trials. We're almost done. Number five, in our trials, we need to move forward. In our trials, we need to move forward. In our trials, we need to move forward. And, and I know I sound like a total heretic when I say it's, there's a time when you have to stop praying and start moving forward, but it's true. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor a long time. I've seen people try and run away from trials or avoid trials, and usually when they come back to God, guess what, the same trial's right there. They just waited, wasted a couple of years, you know? And so, so there's a time. God hears your prayers. He loves you. He wants what's best. But if you've been praying for that way out, if you've been praying that way of escape from a trial or tribulation, and it keeps moving forward, there's a time when you just have to say, okay, God, I've heard your answer. Strengthen me as I move forward. Trials are an opportunity to grow. Trials are an opportunity to see God glorified. Trials are an example or an opportunity for you to be an example for the believers around you. But there comes a time when we must move forward. That's what Jesus did. Today we've looked at this story of the rest of Jesus. We've seen how Jesus prepared ahead of time. We've seen how Jesus handled it when the trial was in front of Him. We've seen how Jesus protected the people around Him because this particular trial was not for the disciples, it was for them It was for him and him alone. And we know the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus went through this painful trial. He had a horrific day, but glory came on the third day. Resurrection, heaven, forgiveness, salvation. The enemy has been defeated. And God is willing and able to work in the trials and tribulations you friends face the exact same way. Do you believe that? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.